0: Well, I'd invite you to take a seat, Kim and the band will be back a little bit later. Uh, I'd love to welcome you again tonight, if this is your first time or if this is uh, your hundredth time, uh, it's always a great time to come along to be on. My name is Chris, I'm one of the communicators here, as Riley said earlier. And if this is your first time or your first time back to church in a while, you've picked a fantastic night to join us uh, because we're launching a brand new series called Skin in the Game. If you have no idea what a series is, the way we like to do things here is we like to have a discussion for about two hours, but we know that you've got things to do and we've got things to do and no one's got two hours on a Sunday. So what we like to do is we like to chunk them down into 20 or 30 minute conversations. We'll have them over a number of weeks and then we'll throw them all together, give them a funky title and call it a series. And as we launch into this series, Skin in the Game, I thought like one really good way that we could launch into it is I could tell you exactly who this series is for and exactly who this series is for not for, so that you know exactly what to expect over the coming weeks. This series is for you if you're a follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, this series is for you, but I will warn you, it will make you uncomfortable. There are going to be times throughout this series where you're going to be like, oh, I don't know if I want to come back next week. Oh, it's kind of going to, what what he's talking about, what they're talking about is really going to make me do some things that I don't really know if I'm comfortable with being a follower of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I'll be really honest and I'll just say this series is not for you, but not in the way that you think. This series is not for you because you will not be required to do anything. No one will ask you to put your hand up, no one will ask you to give money, no one will ask you to do anything. You can just sit back and relax, knowing that the majority of the conversation is not uh, targeted at you. But, but if you've ever wondered, why does the church exist? Why do they do things the way they do? what what is this whole Christianity, what is this whole Jesus thing about, then this series is an opportunity for you to kind of have a front row seat to a conversation between a whole group of followers of Jesus talking about this. This is your opportunity to kind of get a behind-the-scenes look at this word that we, or this this thing that is church. For the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about this word church, and, and I wanted to launch our discussion tonight... By asking, you don't have to answer this question, you can just answer in, in, uh, in your mind this question. How would you describe church? Someone asked you, what, what would you say? How would you describe church? Maybe for some of you, you'd be like, oh, well, there's music, there's a band, there's a communicator, there's, if you go to beyond, there's foliage everywhere, there's always foliage at, at beyond. Maybe for the others of you, you'd be like, well, it's a building right? It's a building with a steeple on top. It's full of old people, isn't it? Like they, they, they do, like maybe, maybe you've never been to church, It's your first time here, or maybe you've got a friend who's never been to church and they say things like, I've never been there but I just know it's weird, like it's crazy. Or maybe they went one time, like this one time I went, it was just weird. I don't know what happened but it was absolutely crazy. I had a friend during the week and I said, uh, as I was preparing for this, I said, how would you describe church? He said, there's this moo thing that you do, that, that's how I describe it. And I was like, what? So yeah, like this, I was in church and like, there was a, a silence and, and I, like the dude up the front was praying and then there was all these people around me going, mmm, mmm. He's like the moo thing. And I was like, okay, like I, I've never noticed it that way. Like that's just weird. Christians do weird things. We don't even know it. And so my friend described church that way, right? And the interesting thing is that, that as we describe church, as we go through all those things, What we're really describing sounds a lot like a meeting, doesn't it? They come together at a specific time, at a specific place, to do a specific thing in that place. It sounds a lot like a meeting. And and if we're honest, if we took away the music, we'd still have church. If we took away the person up the front with with the microphone, we'd still have church. If we took away all the foliage... I don't know if we would, no, we would still have, we would still have church. Which leads us to ask the question, what exactly is the church? When it's all peeled away, if this building was not here, we would still have a church. So what exactly then is the church? Well, I wanted to to give you a little sneak peek because uh, 2,000 years ago, the church didn't exist. Not the churches, you know it, not the church as people 2,000 years ago knew it, but uh, from a couple of hundred people, the church exploded to a couple of thousand people overnight. And there was a historian who was also a doctor named Luke. And Luke was an eyewitness to this explosion of the church. And Luke saw this, and Luke wrote down what he saw when he saw the early church. And this is what he wrote down. He said, all the believers were united in heart and mind. All those people who put their hands up and said, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, they were on the same page. They were all about the one hope. They were all about Jesus. There was something going on in their midst that brought them all together. And then he goes on, and, and from this group of people that were all united around this one person, Jesus, this is what I saw. He says, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. This Jesus guy was so important to them, so pivotal to them, that they decided that, hey, this is big enough that everyone else needs to know about it. So anyone who's poor, anyone who's needy, we need to help them as well. So they gave up everything they had so that the poor and the needy could get their share. And then he goes on, he says, The apostles testified to the resurrection of the Lord, and God's great blessing was upon them all. Luke says, I noticed them giving to the needy, and I noticed the apostles talking about not some mystical teachings, not the time and the location and what they were going to do when they rocked up an event uh, at this place, but the apostles kept talking about this one event that had happened. The apostles would not shut up about this one event. And the event was the resurrection of Jesus. They kept hammering on that there was a guy called Jesus who believed he was the Son of God, that lived, then died, and then three days later he came back from the dead. This was what they were on about over and over and over again. And then Luke goes on. He says, there were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. I don't know if you picked up on it, you probably did because you're smart but I don't know if you picked up on it but, but when Luke describes the, the first church, the first Jesus movement, Luke doesn't go through and says, well at 6.30 on Sunday night they rocked up at this venue, then for five and a half minutes they played some songs, then for 22 and a half minutes someone got up and they talked about it. Luke doesn't describe what's happened at a meeting, what he describes is how the Jesus movement moved. He said, when I looked at them, when I saw the way they lived their life, this is the way they moved. This is the way they interacted with followers of Jesus and people that weren't followers of Jesus. This is how they moved. And the reason that Luke pinpoints these descriptions and talks about the early church in this way is because Luke and those first followers of Jesus knew something that we sometimes have missed in our culture. And this is what they knew. They knew that followers of Jesus were not called to go to church, they were called to be the church. Now, maybe in in your lifetime, church has always been a location that you've gone to and you've grown up and you've thought that, hey church, I just go to church and I want to know if that's the way you think that is not your fault. That is not your fault because we grew up in a culture where it's all about going to a location, going to a venue, going to something. And so it's natural that we think of church as a location. And the reason that we think about it this way is because of a misunderstanding we have. And and it's not our fault, unless you can read Greek, in which case you should know better. But if you can't read Greek, then you're off the hook. We're all good. And it's a misunderstanding around this word, church. Because if you open the New Testament part of your Bible, so kind of the second half of this book we call the Bible, and you start to read some of the biographies of Jesus, and you start to read some of the letters that this this guy called Paul, who used to kill Christians, then until he became one, wrote to all the churches he planted, you'll find this word church pop up just over a hundred times. The problem is, in our world, we think of church as a location. The Greek word, because obviously Jesus and his followers didn't speak English, maybe some of you, that's the first thing you knew. You can take that away from church tonight. Jesus didn't speak English. Jesus spoke Greek and probably Aramaic. And the Greek word that they would have written that's translated into our English word for church is this word, ekklesia. And ekklesia, uh, 2,000 years ago in the Greek culture, was not a word that was associated with a religious institution, it was not a word that was associated with a building. It was a word that was associated with a group of people who were called together for a specific purpose. Armies going off to war were known as ecclesias. Civil movements, the civil rights movements, movements like that were known as ecclesias with a purpose. And the Jesus movement was known as an ecclesia. It was a group of people called together, not to attend a place, but to be on a mission. They were supposed to always be moving. And so maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, what happened? What changed? Why did the Jesus movement go from a movement to become a meeting? How did that happen? Now, I want to give you a really quick history lesson, that, um, which, which you, you actually might find, uh, particularly if you're into church and you're like, why do they do things that way? Why do you push back? This will make you understand, or at least to give you a little glimpse as to why it all began to happen in 313 AD with one man called Constantine. The Jesus movement had been around for just over, uh, around 300 years and Constantine stepped onto the scene and Constantine was the soon-to-be emperor of Rome and he did something unimaginable, he legalized Christianity because up until that point, Christianity was outlawed. Christians would hide, if if you were found in public and you were a Christian, you were beaten, uh, you were tortured and so Christians were killed for their faith but uh, Constantine changed the game. He legalized Christianity across the Roman Empire and then he became the Emperor of Rome and one day something happened that sent shockwaves across the Roman Empire and Constantine announced that he was now a Jesus follower. And what that meant for the early church, as Constantine legalised Christianity and announced that he was a Jesus follower, he took meetings of the Jesus movement out of people's homes, took them out of underground places and started to establish them in public buildings. And the people that were involved in these, um, in these public meetings of the Jesus movement now wore ornate robes that were designed for the, for the royals. But Constantine wanted these these Uh, priests, these people who were involved in the meetings to wear these robes as well. They sidelined followers of Jesus from singing and they brought in professional choirs. And in a matter of a couple of, in a matter of really a decade, this ecclesia of the church turned from a movement to a meeting as the followers of Jesus became spectators to professional choirs and professional communicators. And then over time, Constantine and, and the Roman Empire started to give a name to these locations in which people met. They were called basilicas. And in Rome, they're still called basilicas today. And all of a sudden, this movement became synonymous with a building. It became synonymous with a place. And tonight, we could look at church history, and we could look at all the ways that the church has failed, and the church hasn't done it, but I thought what would be more beneficial would be to ask this question... What made the church move in the first place? We know how it moved from a movement to a meeting that's kind of stuck and it's hung around, but what made the church move in the first place? Because the church essentially, within the space of a couple of hundred years, overturned, was birthed out of Judaism and then subsequently overturned Judaism and overturned an entire empire and sidelined an entire pantheon of gods. What was it that led people to be executed and persecuted for the first 300 years to keep this movement alive? And the answer to this question is found in a conversation. It's the last conversation that Jesus ever had with his disciples after his resurrection and before he ascended into heaven and Matthew records this conversation, uh, he, he thought it was important enough to uh, record in, uh, in a document that he wrote, we, have it, we know it now as Matthew, and it's really Matthew's biography about the life of Jesus. And before I get to this conversation, I just want to give you a, a really quickly a little bit of context so you can understand and you can feel just what Matthew and just what, just what the disciples who were witnessing with Jesus would have felt in this conversation, because Jesus is with them on a hillside. Matthew says they're on a hillside. They're just outside of Jerusalem. So the wind's kind of blowing and they're on this hillside and they're all gathered together. And as soon as Jesus gathers them together, they know this is, this is probably going to be one of the last times we see Him. It's coming to an end. This three-year journey is coming to an end. And there's a motion in the air because just a couple of weeks ago, one of these band of misfits that Jesus picked, Judas, betrayed Him. And it was Judas' betrayal that led Jesus to a cross and led him to die. And then three days later, he rose from the grave. So these disciples are staring face to face with someone who a couple of weeks ago they had seen tortured and beaten. And they had seen him tortured and beaten and and most of them got scared, all of them except for John. John was the only disciple who hung around and watched Jesus' death. John was there with Jesus' mother Mary crying on his arm. John was there as they placed the crown of thorns on his head and John was there as Jesus breathed his last breath. And now, fast forward a couple of weeks and Jesus has risen from the grave. He's eaten with them. He shared stories with them. He's appeared to a crowd and he gathers them together for one last conversation. And this is what he says in that conversation. He says, what I want you to do is I want you to go. In other words, don't hang around here. I think, this is, I don't don't know if Jesus would have said this, but I'm willing to bet he may have said something like this. I predicted my own death and resurrection and I pulled it off. That's never been done before. You don't need to hang around here to spread that message. Plenty of people are going to hear about it. What you need to do is go. And the disciples are like, okay, when we go, what do we do? And Jesus says, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. What I want you to do is I want you to to leave this and I want you to go out across the world and I want you to lead people to know me, everywhere. Now, something we often miss is just who Jesus is talking to. Sure, Jesus has got these guys around him. These guys are fishermen, People who the religious elite of that community deemed not worthy enough to study under them, so they pushed them out, go and be a fisherman. You're not good enough to be a rabbi. Tax collectors, who were were disliked by their own people and pushed to the side. Zealots and political fanatics were part of this group. And Jesus says, I want you to be the ones that go. I want you to be the ones that tell people about me. I want you to be the ones that tell the entire world About my life, my death, and my resurrection. And then he goes on. He says, I want you to make disciples of all nations, and I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptize is just this really fancy word for wash. I want you to give them a bath in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if you're a follower of Jesus here tonight, just quick sidebar, and you have not been baptized, you should just head to the Connect Desk straight after the service tell uh, one of the good-looking people with the land say, hey, I want to be baptized, okay? That's, just, that's it, that's just part of following Jesus, so um, that's just a sidebar. And then he goes on, he says, once you, once you do that, then I want you to teach them, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. Now, I understand if you hear that and you go, see, obey, yep, all the commands, of course, Chris, of course, there's always something with you Christians, isn't there? There's always something where we have to, look at this list of rules and God wants to control me through these lists and then I have to open the mystical book and hear what God says and then if I step one, one step out of line, then God's going to smite me. And, and I understand, I totally get it if you're here tonight and that's been your experience at church. And I can't unchange your experience. All I can say is that if I had had your experience, I have no doubt that I would view Christianity and Christians the exact same way but what I want to do tonight is just help you understand who Jesus was talking to when he said these words. Because he says, I want you to teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you. And Jesus didn't say this, but I'm kind of like just imagining what would happen if Jesus had, because he's got these guys around, they wouldn't have needed reminding. And Jesus would have pointed out, he said, would have said, hey Peter, Peter, remember that time that, you, that a schoolgirl came up to you during my trial and she said, do you know Jesus? What would you say, Peter? No. I don't know Jesus. How many times did you do it, Peter? Did you do it once? No. Did you do it twice? No. Did you do it three times, Peter? Yeah. You denied me three times, Peter. And what did I do? Did I get angry at you? Did I push you out? No. I welcomed you back. I loved you. The Zebedee brothers. Zebedee brothers, I see you over in the back corner over there. Remember that time, Zebedee brothers, when you guys got your mum to come? and tell me that you guys needed a place of honor at my table in heaven? Remember, remember when you wouldn't even come forward yourself, and you sent your mum to do your dirty work? What, what did I do, guys? You welcomed us back, Jesus. Yeah, I did. Thomas. Oh, Tommy. Tommy. Tom, we were together for three years, weren't we? Yes, Jesus. And what did I keep telling you for three years, Tom? That you were going to die, and then on the third day, we we're going to come back what did I tell you, Tom? You're going to die, and on the third day, you're going to come back. And what did I do, Tom? You died, and on the third day, you came back. And what did you do, Tom? I said, I'm not going to believe it unless I see it. And so, what did I do? Did I say, you can't be a follower? Did I say, no, get rid of that guy, he's no good? No, he didn't do that, Jesus. He said, come and touch my hands. Come and touch my side. You welcomed me back in. That Peter, Peter, there are so many dumb things that you've done, Peter. Someone should write a book about all the... Peter, remember when you walked out, you were like, you saw me walking on the water and you were like, Jesus, I want to do that too. And I said, okay, Peter, but there's one condition. You can't take your eyes off me. What did you do, Peter? I took my eyes off you. Yeah, what happened, Peter? You nearly drowned, didn't you? Right. I should have let you drown, but I didn't. I love you. I'm kind of regretting this whole, I'll build my church on you thing, but it's okay. We'll get through it, Peter. It'll be okay. But what Jesus... Was talking to these guys, and the reason Jesus says it to these guys is because these disciples know what it meant to be taught to obey with love. They understood when Jesus was saying, teach these people that I love them, teach these people that I care for them, He knew that they wouldn't go out and manipulate them through fear, but they would lead them with love. And then these are Jesus's final words to His disciples. He says, and be sure of this, when you go out, when you're teaching all these people in all the corners of the world, I want you to be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Could you imagine what you would have felt if you were eyeball to eyeball with Jesus in that moment? If you had witnessed this man perform miracles and you believed he was God, and then you'd seen him die and then three days later he rises from the grave and then a couple of weeks later he looks you in the eye and he eyeballs you and he says, I've chosen you to tell people how much I love them. I've chosen you to be valuable and I want, everyone, I want you to tell everyone else just how valuable they are to me. That God doesn't see people as commodities, God doesn't see people as these little minions, but God sees people as valuable, so valuable that He was willing to come and die on a cross for them. Could you imagine when Jesus said that to you and He says, and when you go and do that, I'm with you always. Whatever you endure, I'll be there with you. Whatever you see, I'll be there with you. Whatever you experience, I'll experience it with you we understand that these were Jesus' last words, it is no wonder that a bunch of Jewish misfits overturned an entire empire and started this movement that still continues to move today. So the question, what started the Jesus movement to begin with, what caused the church to move to begin with, The fact that their first disciples witnessed the resurrection of Jesus and they believed it. And because of that, they were willing to spread this message of love and they were willing to give up their life for this. But what does that mean for us today? Because it is one thing to come to church, sing a few songs, hear about how the Jesus movement began a very different thing to leave those doors and be the church and we understand that this is this is a big thing this is a big shift in thinking not just going to church but being the church and, and we're going to continue to talk about this in the next two weeks but we just thought just for this week we wanted to give one little baby step one little easy step to help us as a community begin to be the church and so this is it we have this thing it's called Four monday because we believe there's no point going to church on Sunday if it doesn't impact you for the rest of the week. And so this is this week's for Monday. We want you to unite with us as we move at Go Beyond. Next Saturday morning, we, uh, we have this thing called Go Beyond, where we just go out into our community and we just show some practical love for people. We get into backyards, we cook their food, we move their furniture, whatever whatever people need, we go out and help them. And we don't do it with a secret Bible pack in our pocket. We don't do it with the next series invite in our pocket. We don't have a cup of coffee with someone and then when they turn, we just leave that Bible pack on the table and walk out the door. We just do it because we want the world to know that God views them as valuable. And as a result, we view them as valuable. And so we're we just want to give up some of our time to love them. And the greatest thing, this, get, this, is, this is said to uh, all of our teams that go out all the time. One of the greatest things that we take pride in is when people say, I don't know why you guys are here, but I sure am glad you're here. Or when someone says something like, you guys need to get a new hobby. You guys just, it's weird. like, I'm so glad that you're here helping me, but it's just weird that you are. For us, that's just the greatest, that, that's a win. Because we just want to be able to practically show love for someone. And so we want to challenge you to be involved and in go beyond in some way. You don't have to come out and serve on a team with us on Saturday. Maybe you want to cook a meal for someone during the week and give it to one of our, our crew and so they can distribute it out. Maybe, uh, maybe you just want to be a driver for someone. Maybe for you it looks like, maybe you're here and you're cooking up a feed for, for all the, the leaders as they come back afterwards, um, after being out in people's yards. Whatever it looks like, we want to give you a really, really easy step to help you be the church this week because ultimately the church was never intended to be a meeting, it was always intended to be a movement and we want to continue that movement here. But before we wrap up in the last minute that I have, I realise, I want to speak directly to those Jesus followers who are kind of pushing back against this, those Jesus followers who are like, yeah, well, Chris, you see, that's great but I'm an introvert. Or, yeah, well, Chris, that's great, but I do this thing every Saturday morning where I sleep in till 11.30. Or, Chris, you see, that's great and all, but you don't understand, season five of House of Cards just came out, and I have to binge watch the entire thing, and if I stop, like, it's just not happening. I understand for some of you that, that, who've been in church, and for you for a long time, church is a place you go to, your first response... When someone stands out the front and says it's time to be the church, is to think of all the reasons why not to be. But tonight, I just want to leave you with one reason to be the church. And it's this that your life is too valuable, your calling is too great, and your God too awesome to waste your life on what doesn't matter. Because when Jesus was speaking to those very first disciples on that hillside, every single one of them, bar one, ended up being murdered for their faith. And I'm not saying that to guilt trip you, but I'm saying that because these disciples understood what was important in life. They realized that when they looked back on their life, they were not going to say, man, I am so glad I watched every House of Cards season. I'm so glad I watched Gilmore Girls back to back to back. I am so glad I went and had coffee 17 times and got my fix no they knew that when they look back on their life as a follower of jesus what they were going to regret were the times they didn't show other people how valuable they were to god they knew that the things that they were going to regret were when they had the opportunity to love someone when they had the opportunity to have a conversation with someone and they didn't and i don't want you to make that same mistake Because your life is too valuable to waste it if you're a follower of Jesus on things that ultimately don't matter. So join with this next week. Let's not ever be a church that just views church as a meeting. Let's view and let's be the church today, tomorrow, and forever. And join us next week as we're going to unpack this a little bit more. But I'd love to just pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, what it would have been like to be on that hillside. What it would have been like to see what those disciples saw. Lord, we thank you that, you've, uh, that this document is still here for us to be able to look at today. We thank you that Matthew took the time to write it down and must have impacted him so much for him to, to want to write it down. And Lord, I pray that the words that Matthew recorded of you and and what Luke saw of the early church, Lord, that when people look in at beyond, that's what they would see. They wouldn't see us as a community that is focused on a meeting. Sure, we want this to be a place that people who have no church experience can come and they can have a great time. We want to be a church that unchurched people love to attend. But we want to be a movement. We want to be known in our community for loving others. And so, Lord... As we start this series, it's, it's a little bit daunting for those of us who have maybe grown up in church where it was, church was just a, a place that we attend. But Lord, you never called us to attend a building. You called us to be something. You called us to be the church. And so Lord, I just pray that this week we would take that small baby step and unite and move in our community at Go Beyond. But for the next couple of weeks, that we would hang in there And we would unpack this idea of what you really meant when you called us to be the church. And I pray that we would be the church this week in every community that we're a part of. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.